This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Spirit's Path, the story of three women. And the author is Lisi Mayer. And Dr. Yoon joins us now to talk about this book. Hello, Dr. Yoon. Hello, how are you, Steve? Welcome to Author Talk. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. I want to read a couple things you've written about your book so everyone in general knows what we're going to be discussing. You say, this is a memoir dealing important formative events in the lives of three generations of women in a family which immigrated to the United States after World War II from Austria. The book honestly describes some very traumatic events of abuse, death from cancer, and loss of loved ones. The help gained from spiritual awareness is detailed in the book. Well, this is very direct, and this is your story and the story of your mother as well and your daughter. Uh, Why did you decide to do this, Dr. Yoon? Well, my motivation for this book uh, was an inner urging of my spiritual self to share with others the development of myself from a child to a senior citizen. My story contains uh, secrets I no longer wanted to keep, secrets I had kept to protect others who were perpetrators or who were witnesses who did not want to see the truth of my traumas from childhood rape and sexual abuse. As a child psychiatrist, many of my issues were similar to issues patients presented to me. Uh, So as I have retired, I thought I would spend time uh, opening up this issue and maybe helping people uh, to to face um, openly maybe traumas in their own lives and maybe, you know, resort to a therapist or to discuss it. The book uh, begins with Carla, which is you. uh, What age? At age eight. Age eight. And so... As you describe, and you put it this way, significant happenings in, in your life which are shocking that you're going to present. So uh, you're not holding back at all, and you felt that you needed to do that uh, to help others, as well as in, in, uh, after doing this, it helped you. Yes, it did. It, it gave me uh, a new perspective on my whole life, uh, which is a luxury uh, not many of us have or take to look over one's life processes and uh, just what, what, uh, you know, what paths we took in life and how and why. Why do you think sexual abuse in childhood has become, as you put it, almost taboo? I, I, think, uh, I think children, because of their nature uh, of trusting uh, important people in their lives, adults, family members, and so forth, um, feel very betrayed uh, when when uh, they are abused, especially sexual abuse. And it is often uh, considered a shameful thing that is not to be admitted or talked about. 
uh, and often uh, the child is actually punished for uh, bringing it out in the open. And I wanted to show in this book how uh, the effect uh, that this secrecy has on a child's development, how it can stunt the psychological growth and shut off creativity, uh, and in other ways impact uh, negatively in a, a child's social life if they have to keep uh, this kind of a secret. So we're back in post-World War II Austria. Is that where the story starts? Yes, it does. Yes, 1949. 1949. And what is going on at that moment in time with you and, and your family? Uh, there has been a divorce of my parents, and uh, my mother has been evicted from the family home of her husband and uh, has uh, had to seek work uh, milking cows at a, a nearby farm uh, with her three children in tow. Uh, it uh, was kind of a punitive uh, thing that was done to her. And uh, so and when at that farm, there were many migrant laborers from uh, different countries uh, that had been uh, that had lost their home during the war uh, for one reason or another. Uh, so that that's the setting uh, that's that's uh, is taking place there. And it was a hard time. Uh, even food was, even though you're on a farm, the food was awful. Yes, that's right. They uh, all the food, you know, was shipped off to feed the armies. So the people back home actually they didn't have that much uh, to eat <laughs> for themselves. Uh, and after the war, you know, they lost the war. They were especially very short on rations. So your mother decides to marry. Uh, yes, she decides uh, to marry an immigrant laborer that has uh, come from the Ukraine, who was originally a prisoner of war of the Germans, uh, but was uh, had to fight on the German side of the last year of the war. And then when the war ended, uh, basically everybody was running every which way. They were just trying to get their freedom. And so during this time, uh, I guess the, your first uh, abuse occurs while she's away. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. That's when the, uh, the rape occurred, actually. Right. And, and now you're, uh, how do you feel about this new stepfather? Uh, is this something that you're looking forward to at that time, or what, what are you feeling? Uh, at the time, uh, before the sexual abuse and before he had the opportunity to sexual abuse me, I, I, I liked him. I thought he was a very nice man, and uh, my mother liked him very much, and so, of course, uh, if she liked him, uh, he couldn't be all that bad. Right, right. Now, th this first rape didn't occur, though, with your stepfather. No, it occurred with a 45-year-old man the beekeeper on the farm, actually. And you were eight years young. I was eight years young, yes. And so your mother goes off to um, get married again, and tell us then, uh, take us kind of jump us ahead of what happens. Um, well, um, you mean what happens? Uh, I was raped, and uh, that evening my mother came, to pick me up, and uh, she knew that I had been raped, but she didn't discuss it with me. She just brought me 
to my aunt's house, my paternal aunt's house, and left me there with really not much to say except uh, I'll see you at some time. And she left me there, but she really meant to just have me stay there uh, permanently. And I, I had not seen this aunt, this paternal aunt, actually uh, since we had left the farm when I was about four years old. So uh, really, I was not familiar with her. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it was like going to be with a stranger. And my mother abruptly leaving that very same evening uh, to uh, go join her new husband in a, in a distant city. She had to go by train. So how long were you apart from your mom and uh, your new stepfather? Um, one year. I, I lived with my aunt and uncle for one year. Um, I, I must say they, they treated me very well, although, again, the rape was never discussed after the first incident, but my aunt actually got me treatment. Uh, she took me to a doctor and got me treatment. And after that, I lived with them. And then uh, and my aunt told me, your mother's never coming back. She went off. She's gotten married. She's never coming back. And then suddenly, a year later, my mother shows up. You know, in those times, we didn't really have a telephone in the house. You had to write a letter. And um, she didn't write to tell me she was coming, but she came. And she took me out, and it was my idea, actually, to go with her. <laughs> I begged her if she would take me to live with her, to right. go to her city, where she was living in a displaced persons camp. Now, your book also deals with the loss of a loved one. You say, uh, you know, how to be able to handle this. You kind of uh, hopefully are helping people to know how to deal with this loss. Uh, could be through an illness or accident. What what happened? Uh, the the biggest loss that occurred was my, uh, first of all, my, my husband died suddenly, uh, also in Austria, um, of um, an arrhythmia you know, a heart arrhythmia, mm -hmm. and he actually uh, dropped dead at the train station. He was doing a, a Ph.D. Uh, research there, and uh, so I lost him, and a year and a half later, my daughter died, uh, basically from the uh, after effects of cancer, lymphoma, uh, and uh, so I had these, so half my family was reduced by half within a year and a half. And so I, I think there was so much grief uh, that I really didn't uh, didn't know which which one should I grieve for. You know, I, I mean, it, it was so traumatic about both of those deaths. Now, where were you spiritually at that time, and were you angry with God, or what was going on with you? Um, I, I was really pleading very much. I was like praying every day. Uh, hoping, hoping that my daughter could recover from uh, her bone marrow transplant that she had, um, uh, and that we would be able to return and you know live a, a semi-normal life, you know. And so I prayed and prayed all the time, and I actually had great faith. I actually had great faith. But when she died, and actually I had to put her to sleep. Um, uh, then I, I, I think that I was definitely angry with God. I can say so, you know, that I, I felt so angry because I had put so much trust uh, in God and uh, it had not happened. You know, my, my dream and my daughter's dream, where she fought very hard for her life, 
uh, did not come true. We could not ever be rejoined and go live again and so forth. So, but that lasted, uh, that really was then replaced by the grief. And the grief uh, took many forms, which uh, I have described in the book, and led uh, to my uh, own very much greater spiritual awareness and contact, uh, that one has contact with a loved one after they die. That became very obvious. And one of the messages that you even say, these kinds of after-death experiences are very common. Yes, I believe, uh, you know, from what I've read and uh, mostly what I've read and also what my uh, patients have told me, uh, they are very common and can be very dramatic and uh, amazing, actually. So, um, and, and then it happened to me, you know, it happened also to me. And uh, so now I look at death in a very different way. Uh, and that's, I think, described in the book. How do we protect children from abuse of any kind? You know, you know it's of paramount importance, paramount importance to you. But how do we do that? Uh, th- this is a very important issue that I wish, uh, you know, that, that this book could help people to do. It, the most important thing is to have an adult uh, to be caring about their children and notice any changes that are occurring in the personality or outlook of their child and to to sit them down and to talk to them. What's going on with you? I've noticed lately, you know, there are some changes that have come over you. Please tell me. Please feel free to tell me and to be very encouraging for them to open up because no one ever actually did that for me. No, None of the adults, neither my mother nor my aunt uh, nor any of the, the relatives I had there ever asked me, sit down, please tell us what happened. Please tell us how do you feel now, what's going on, and what's the most appropriate thing we can do for you. What is the most appropriate way we can help you, such as treatment and uh, making sure, you know, closeness and kind of checking uh, to be sure uh, that the child, you know, is, is getting along okay and getting along better. Uh, those are very important things that I hope people can gather from this book. <laughs> and you also stress the importance of the great influence in your life from teachers. Uh, yes, I am so grateful for that, and that's uh, one reason I wrote the, about that in this book. I think our teachers are very much underappreciated, and they can make. Uh, they, I, I hope that teachers who read this can realize what a great impact they can actually have on a child's life that the child will remember the rest of their lives. That can actually turn them in a different direction, which is what happened to me. You know, nobody in my family cared how I did in school. They never inquired. It was strictly up to me. And this teacher stepped in and she said, well, I care. I care how you're doing in school. And I care that you do your homework. And I care about your teeth, you know, and I care about uh, things about you. And I care that you get to stay with your group till you graduate from uh, eighth grade. Those were very important things she did for me that no adult in my family had done for me. So outside the family, you can seek often great uh, support, uh, you know, that you had not thought possible if people open themselves up to you. But the bottom line, you had to pull yourself up by, as you put it, your own bootstraps. That's right, I did. I really had to pull myself along always. Uh, that non-caring about how I did continued. 
you know, through my adolescent life and even my uh, young adult life and adult life, it was strictly I had to uh, measure up to myself. I kind of took in the values, you know, of people that I admired around me and took them into myself and uh, kind of became like that. Uh, you know, I changed to those qualities that I most admired in people in my life. The title of the book, Spirit's Path, the story of three women, and the author is Lisey Mayer. Dr. Yoon, tell us how to get your book. Uh, you can get it through AuthorHouse, uh, AuthorHouse.com, Amazon.com, uh, Noble Bookstores, um, and um, also, let's see, are there any other sites? Uh, I think those are the, the main right. sites. Right, and any site you can order it if you uh, just have to know the title of the book, Spirit's Path, and you can order it. So uh, all I'm, I'm sure all online bookstores uh, can get it. So thank yes. you, thank you, Dr. Yoon, for being with us on Author Talk. Thanks. Yes, and thank you so much, Steve. Thank you. Have a good day. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hey, moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. And sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their value when life calls for switching from role to role. But the ability to juggle so many hats is priceless. She is never just a mom. She's a decision maker, coordinator, creative genius, counselor, a friend, an authority, and a leader in her household. On Mom of Many Hats Radio, we'll be talking about the hats that you as a mom juggle. We'll acknowledge your importance and support in helping you and all moms to not just defend your value, but to believe in your value. For more on the show and Angie, check out her website, azmamaminihats.com. She is a strong woman. She is powerful. She is wonderful. And she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Girlfriended is on Togginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriended principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Hepatitis C, What You Need to Know. And the author is Dr. Tuesday Stainbrook. And Dr. Stainbrook joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Dr. Stainbrook. Hello, and thank you for having me. Well, this is going to be a 
very bottom line discussion about a very serious, dangerous, deadly disease, obviously, hepatitis C. But before we get into the details, I just want to read what you have written about your book. You say, Dr. Tuesday Stainbrook, an infectious disease physician, has recently written a must-read book regarding hepatitis C, What You Need to Know. To help those infected with the hepatitis C virus become more aware of their disease and treatment options. This book is easy to read and provides a different topic on each page to help the reader understand their disease. I guess the key phrase there, it's easy to read because it's not an easy disease, I'm sure, to understand. But you've been working at this for uh, quite a while, haven't you, doctor? Yeah, for about 10 years, I've been treating hepatitis C. And you've really focused, and I know you've won an award from the state of Pennsylvania because of your efforts to combat this disease. Yeah, many people don't are not aware that hepatitis C is actually four times more common than HIV and hepatitis B. And most people don't even know that they're, um, they have hepatitis C because most people don't have any symptoms. It's a silent virus, and it can damage your liver and cause other problems in your body, and you don't even know about it. I kind of compare it to high blood pressure or diabetes. A lot of times you just don't know you have it until it's too late. So what is hepatitis C? I mean, what is the, the scientific medical definition, I guess? Well, hepatitis C is a virus, um, and uh, there are several hepatitises, um, viral hepatitises. And hepatitis in general just means inflammation of your liver. So you can have hepatitis from uh, alcohol, you can have hepatitis from drug-induced, you know, drug-induced hepatitis, or you can have it from viral. Um, people hear vir- viral hepatitis A, that's what you get from eating contaminated food and water. Um, there's also hepatitis B. And then hepatitis C are actually uh, blood-to-blood um, um, viruses, meaning that you have to usually have um, blood-to-blood contact. So um, risk factors include IV drug use, getting a blood transfusion before 1992. Sexual contact is low, but it's there, but also snorting with uh, straws. You can't get it from, like, sneezing, coughing, hugging, sharing utensils. But you could also get it from sharing toothbrushes or razors with somebody. Um, I once had this uh, gentleman who had no risk factors for hepatitis C, and he worked on an oil rig. And when they would, the, the crew would go out, they would share razors. And without questioning him about that, he would have never known how he got hepatitis C. But he, he now, of course, doesn't share razors, but you can get it just from sharing razors with somebody. Now, you took a very basic, elementary approach to uh, this book. It's obvious for the patient or the would-be patient, so they can easily understand. Yes. Well, with any disease, you know, it's complicated. And from the time of diagnosis to the end of treatment, people have questions. It's overwhelming to them. And after treating so many people, I try to educate people as much as I can, and then I also give them a packet, but it's got... But what I was seeing was it's bits and pieces. You know, I'd give them all these pamphlets and stuff, and they were kind of overwhelming. They weren't, they were complicated. So what I wanted to do was try to do something that was complete, easy to read, talk from the beginning of your treatment, beginning of even diagnosis, and take you through the whole 
treatment process, liver biopsies, medication, uh, side effects, what you're going to expect through this entire treatment of hepatitis C. Because what I find is people, the biggest misconception is that people don't realize is that hepatitis C can be cured. Can it be cured in everybody? No. But a lot of people it could be cured with, especially with the new medication, the proteus inhibitors, up to 80% of people now can be cured. So, and people don't realize it. it's not like hep hepatitis B or HIV, which are chronic diseases. Now, there's no vaccination for hepatitis C, but still, it can be cured. What are the signs of hepatitis C? Well, like I said, it's a silent virus. So many people don't have any symptoms. But if they're going to have symptoms, the two most common symptoms are fatigue and uh, abdominal pain in your liver, which is right up quadrant pain. And that pain usually comes and goes. Um, usually people don't have any symptoms until the disease progresses. And when the disease progresses, they can get uh, uh, jaundice, which is yellowing of the skin, or their eyes can become yellow. Um, they can get muscle aches. They can get um, fluid built up in their stomach, which is called ascites. Uh, but again, also what people don't realize is that hepatitis C can um, not just affect the liver. It can affect your skin. People, you can have rashes. It can cause depression. It can be a risk factor for diabetes. Uh, it can affect your kidneys. There's a lot of things that hepatitis C can do, just not um, affecting your liver. So why is the liver so important? The liver is important because it actually clears your blood. It clears your blood of toxins. And if you don't have that liver to help clear your blood, then you can actually um, get, build up your toxins. The liver actually filters 540 gallons of blood a day. That's 1.5 quarts a minute, so it's always filtering. The other thing that the liver does, it, it helps regulate your blood sugars. It helps you clot. So when people have advanced liver disease, they can't clot as well, so they're more easily to bleed. It also helps produce hormones and proteins. It helps digest fat. And then it also acts as a storage container for vitamins and minerals. So it, as you can see, it does a lot of things. It's quite important. It's actually the largest internal organ about the size of a football, and it's right located on your right side of your body under your rib cage. Now, we've all heard this term, this word cirrhosis. Uh, tell us why that is such a bad situation or a bad medical problem. Well, what the hepatitis C does, the virus, is it kills liver cells. And when you kill a liver cell, you have to put something down in, your pla in its place. So you put down scar tissue. And the medical word for scar tissue is fibrosis. So what you're trying to prevent with treatment is that you don't get your liver full of scar tissue or fibrosis. If it does become a big ball of scar, as I like to say, then it, you get cirrhosis. That's when your liver can't function. It can't clear those toxins. You get a lot more symptoms. You get yellowing of the skin. You get yellowing of your eyes. The toxins build up, so you can't think clearly. You can't... Um, remember things. You also, it puts you at risk for bleeding because you can't clot as well because your liver isn't working. And then you get all this pressure in your belly and that pressure has to go somewhere. So the pressure goes kind of up your 
into your stomach and your esophagus, and you get what's called varices, which are veins that are kind of popping up. And that puts you at risk for bleeding. And if those start bleeding and your livers and your blood can't clot, then, you know, a lot's unfortunately how a lot of people with liver cirrhosis die. They kind of bleed to death because they can't clot and they are at risk for bleeding. So cirrhosis is a, is a very serious complication of hepatitis C. And actually, there's so much undiagnosed hepatitis C in the United States that cirrhosis is the amount of cirrhosis is supposed to double or even quadruple in 10 to 15 years. Alcohol consumption in this country is pretty well accepted, it seems. Uh, you know, drinking is a part of the social norm. Uh, how much of an impact does uh, drinking, let's say, beer have on your liver and maybe take it to the next stage of where you have uh, hard liquor? Well, everything should be in moderation, but... Because I'm not against drinking. Again, everything should be in moderation. But if you have some sort of liver disease, whether it be hepatitis C or hepatitis B or even drug-induced hepatitis or autoimmune hepatitis, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol. No alcohol is safe when someone has some other form of hepatitis because you're adding two insults to your liver, which can make your liver disease progress faster. How does a person know if he should be tested for hepatitis C? Well, only if you have risk factors should you be tested for hepatitis C. And the risk factors uh, include IV drug use. Currently in the United States, what we see is that most people, uh, 90, 80% of people who now have, get hepatitis C is from IV drug use. But there are other risk factors. If you had a transfusion uh, before July of 1992, if you had... Um, a medical condition like a long surgery before 1992 that may have had needed blood products or even clotting factors. Um, other risk factors include hemodialysis patients, uh, needle stick injuries if you may have had at work, especially in the healthcare uh, field. If there is a ch children born to hepatitis C positive mothers, if there's your current sexual partner has hepatitis C, they should be tested. Um, Persons with HIV, 30% of people with HIV are co-infected with hepatitis C. And then there's this population that about 10% that we do not know how they got hepatitis C. And some of the things that have been untraditional risk factors for hepatitis C um, include if someone had a endoscopy, just like an uh, EGD where they look down your throat, or even a colonoscopy to look for colon cancer and if the instruments were not properly uh, sterilized. That could be a risk factor. Um, pedicures, manicures, if they, they, again, if the, the instruments are not sterilized in a proper fashion, of course, this could be a risk factor. Barbershops, contact sports where there is blood-to-blood uh, -blood on the ground and there's mixtures and it, both people have um, cuts. Tattoo, especially unprofessional tattoos. When you go to get a tattoo, you should always ask for clean needles. Um, make sure that they use individual ink wells or they pour the ink into individual ink wells. Um, when I first started doing hepatitis C, I would see at least three um, infections a year from tattoos. And again, don't share toothbrushes, razors. Those are the uh, untraditional risk factors for hepatitis C. What about pregnancy and hepatitis C? 
Um, there is some risk to the uh, infant. Um, it depends on several things, including if a patient, if the um, mother is HIV infected, that will increase the risk of transmission of hepatitis C. The other thing that increases the risk of hepatitis C is the viral load of the uh, woman. If there's a higher viral load, meaning there's a higher amount of virus in the blood, then the risk factor is increased. Overall, it is low, probably 5 or 6%, uh, but it's still possible. What I tell my pregnant mothers and I tell the uh, local um, obstetricians is to try to minimize blood-to-blood -blood transmission. So when it comes to scalp leads for the, the infant, we would prefer no scalp leads. Um, for, you know, the forceps, to, preferred not to use the forceps to get the baby out because we just don't want that baby to bleed and the fluids from the mother to mix with the baby's um, blood. So minimizing those things can help minimize the risk of transmission of hepatitis C. Now, there is no recommendations not to breastfeed. Breastfeeding in hepatitis C is um, okay. We have about a minute left. Doctor, uh, give us some closing thoughts about your book concerning hepatitis C. Thank you for having me. I, I wrote the book because I wanted people to understand in an easy way what's going on and not to fear treatment, to fear diagnosis. Um, people are often ashamed when they get this diagnosis. So this is a complete and easy to read. It has pictures. It's colorful. And, you know, any feedback, you know, be great. I have a website, hepatitisinfo.com, or it can be purchased at any um, bookstore online. Well, thank you, doctor. We appreciate you being with us. This is Dr. Tuesday Stainbrook. She is the author of her book, Hepatitis C, What You Need to Know. Thank you, Dr. Stainbrook. Thank you. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Whether you're four and a half or 100, you can retrain your brain. Learning RX, the radio show, is on toginet.com Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central Time with Martin Kruger. Learning RX programs are quick, they're efficient, they're life changing, and they're permanent. Unlike tutoring, cognitive skills training or brain training targets the root issue causing learning struggles. Time and money spent on chronic tutoring is a clear signal of cognitive skill deficiency. That's where Learning RX comes in. Call today, 903 617 6899. 903 617 6899. Then join us for the show here every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. And take advantage of the power it holds to improve your life. There are so many brain training issues that Learning RX can help you with. It's not a product, it's an experience. So join us for Learning RX, the radio show with Martin Kruger. Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. 
That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Time Together, Time Well Spent. And the author is Casey Rislove. And Casey joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Casey. Hi, Stephen. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, this is going to be fun, talking about this great children's book. I want to read about it. These are... Uh, this is what you've written. The book Time Together, Time Well Spent, is a book about spending time with loved ones in fun and interactive ways. The book draws you in from the beginning with the bright colors and animated bear characters. Each page brings a new fun activity in an upbeat, vibrant, and humorous manner. The bears continually find something new to do each page you turn. There is hidden humor and a fun rhythm to the words. And I like that about this. There is this beat. There is that rhythm. And uh, obviously children just are attracted to that. Yeah, they are. They actually catch on. And it seems like can even uh, learn the words to the book a lot faster that way, too. That's for sure. Just like we remember songs from when we were really young, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, same thing. Well, tell us why you decided to do this. How did this come about, Casey? Um, well, I've been a preschool teacher at a local preschool, and after a couple of years of getting comfortable teaching, and um, I found that at night I couldn't go to sleep. I would be thinking about my own ideas for books, which, you know, made it fun. And finally I was like, I'm going to write these ideas down. And uh and I think it just had to do with, you know, reading all the old books, the classics, and all the fun new books. I mean, there's out there, and it's fun to get exposed. And being a teacher, it kind of, you know, pushes you into that. And every year I taught, I've always made it a goal of my own to learn new books that are out there with each theme that I do. So I guess that's where it started, is just kind of by the lamplight. And why bears? Well, um, I picked bears because um, it is my favorite animal, and I wanted to do animals to start with because I really do feel like children relate with animals. It's kind of the books they seem to pick out the most are the books with animals. Now, as you uh, build these activities, uh, there's a purpose here, I sense, uh, because you really believe that we have to do things together if we're really going to maintain relationships. Yes, I do. I do believe that. You need to take the time to, to be with one another. I mean, we need our individual time, too. But I think, you know, in order to get to know one another better, you know, what's better than actually doing some fun activities together? In fact, I think when you do something like a card game or, you know, a Monopoly game or something, you actually learn about each other um, more than you would maybe some other way because maybe you'll see a competitive side come out that maybe that person didn't have. Or maybe you see a silly side come out, too. It's just that's what's the fun in a game. You don't know what, what side's going to come out in each person that is playing. 
Now, the illustrations are just vivid and just come alive. They do, and I think Stephen Adams did a great job of that. Um, I would definitely use him again. Um, I I got to help decide what each page looked like, but he's the one who really just put some hidden humor in there, and that's where I feel like um, you can go back to the book again and again and find something hidden all the time. Um, and it's usually a uh, papa bear that's up to something silly. So, but, I, but by the end of the book, you do notice little ones are starting to follow suit. Now, these activities, these things to do, are they some of your favorite? Is that why you included them with, you know, things you do with children? It sure is. Uh, card games are one of my favorite. In fact, uh, that's where you might see my competitive side come out, or I might not always show my competitive side. And, you know, I get real quiet when I'm losing or, you know, and then when I'm winning, I get, you know, maybe a little mouthy, you know, letting them know that, you know, I'm on top and I'm winning. And this book provides a, kind of a peek inside your philosophy about education and learning. Yes, yeah. I feel like you learn from one another, that you, you know, um, you can learn from another person uh, faster than you can just by yourself, and you, you can bounce ideas off of each other. And I think any activity is a, a lot fun, a lot more fun than it is by yourself when you have someone to do it with, especially someone you really care about. So... These activities, they really uh, point to the fact of the need for us to have good friends, to spend time with friends, and, of course, definitely spend time with family members. Yeah, I think both are important. Um, I think you, you learn things from different people, and I think surrounding yourself with positive people is an important thing in life. And as you point out, enjoy this life by doing things that make you smile. Exactly, exactly. And and how simple most of them were, you know, on each page that um, I chose. I mean, a card game, you just need a deck of cards or, you know, a, go outside to play a ball. You don't even need that. You know, you don't really need much props to have a lot of fun. What age group is this aimed at? I have ages 2 to 7, but, I mean, if you're reading to even babies, I think they would still like it because of the rhythm. And then I still think some of the older kids like it, too, because... So like picture books, and two, they can read it. And the hidden humor, they're going to catch that hidden humor, the older ones. We live in a time uh, technology seems to just rule, but there's nothing better than a, a book that uh, gives you ideas about doing some things the old-fashioned way, the good old way of just having fun. Exactly. I, You know, I, technology is something we all can't get away from because it is a part of our life and we have to learn to grow with it. But I sure think there's definitely a time where you need to set the technology down and just enjoy the people around you. And even if it is just a conversation around a table. And as you put it, life becomes what you make it. Yes. And that's actually one of my favorite quotes. Why don't you uh, give us a few of the uh, activities you have mentioned playing cards? What are some of the other activities that you highlight in this story? Um, one of my favorite illustrations is um, the one about reading books. On the first page, it's real simple. The family sitting down to read books, and the little boy bear has a different book than the little girl bear, and they're um, talking about their stories, and they get into the boy bear's book, and it has a castle on the front. And on the next page, it's, again, my favorite illustration because all of a sudden the story comes alive, as stories do, especially if you do discuss them. 
So it's it's a lot of fun to look at the next page because then all of a sudden the boy bear is sitting on a horse and he has become a knight and he's helping his sister um, as she's at the top of the castle and there's a big dragon in front of her. But if you look real closely, that's where some of the hidden humor is because the uh, is definitely taking care of herself as she takes the book and bonks the dragon on the head. So that's one of my favorites. And then there's another um, illustration I really like, and I think a lot of people have uh, fond memories of this when they're young, is building a fort just out of a sheet and chairs. You know, sometimes it's even less. But I thought that one was fun and came alive because I even added the part of, you know, making shadow figures with your hands and a flashlight. So I thought that was neat how it turned out. And again, none of these things took much props. It was just having fun together. And read some of the words for us. Okay. Um, I'm going to go back to, because my favorite words are, are the um, one for the books. And let's see, it says, let's read a book, then swap stories. Mine takes me to a faraway land. Dragons, princess, warriors, and kings, each has a fate. What could it be? Life on the edge, life in a castle, life spent traveling, life made magical. Well, you can really feel the rhythm in that. The, certainly, uh, children are going to uh, feel that, and uh, and uh, it'll keep their attention. I think so too. And like I said, I think they'll they'll catch on, and you know, be able to read it probably even the second time around because of the rhythm. So, is this the start of some kind of a series? I think so. I really feel like I could do a lot more with it. I could do, I thought, an outdoor adventure. Because I really only did one outdoor picture. And I am a very outdoorsy person, so I, so I thought it was funny that I actually only had one picture. So I thought I could go that way with it. And I could probably even go, you know, do fun things like a family vacation or something. So, or Christmas. But I think the outdoors one I'm definitely looking forward to maybe doing next. Well, give us a closing thought, Casey, about your book. Um. I would just say that it's a lot of fun to read, I think, both for adults because of the color and the humor. There is so much expression on the bear's face, and um, it's just one you'll want to reach back for again and again. And um, my own son um, even asked for it by name, and he's only two years old, and he, he definitely loves my book. So that makes me feel good that I already have a little audience that um, enjoys it. An in-house fan club. <laughs> exactly. Well, good for <laughs> Especially you. when he's two and he's calling it by name. Right. That's not necessarily a short title. Well, fantastic, Casey. Well, the title of the book, Time Together, Time Well Spent. And the author is Casey Rizlov. Casey, tell us how to get your book. Um, it can be found on Author House's website. It can also be found at Barnes & Noble's website and Amazon. Casey, thanks. I really do appreciate any support out there. Um, this has been an exciting venture for me, and I do hope to do many more. Casey, thanks for being with us on Author Talk. All right. Thank you, Stephen.